Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. I've had several people ask questions about cervical insufficiency, so I felt like we needed to have a come to Jesus and talk about this today. So some of you may be asking, what the heck is cervical insufficiency? Well, cervical insufficiency used to be called cervical incompetence or incompetent cervix until I guess somebody thought a doctor was being offensive and trying to insult somebody's cervix. Like real talk, that is really what happened. Um, in addition to like, remember when we used to have cows, like computers on wheels. And so some patient heard something say, somebody say cow. And so now it's a wow, right? So it's a workstation on wheels. Same thing happened with cervical insufficiency versus incompetent cervix. Y'all, we, we getting too sensitive about these things. But either way, it is cervical insufficiency now. So cervical insufficiency is a connective tissue disorder where the tissues are just super weak. And in a nutshell, it's when the cervix doesn't have the sufficient muscular strength to remain closed. As a result, women can experience painless cervical dilation, which can lead to preterm deliveries. If a preterm delivery happens really early, it could mean that someone could lose their pregnancy. Cervical insufficiency happens only in about 1% of pregnancies, thank God, and usually occurs in the second trimester, or you may hear people say mid-trimester or mid-trimester loss is the coin phrase. The cause of cervical insufficiency is not well known, um, but there are several risk factors. So the first risk factor and the biggest one is a previous loss. So women who have had miscarriages in the past, especially in the second trimester, so after the 13th week, if you've had two or more miscarriages, you are at higher risk for cervical insufficiency. And I'm not talking about um, there are different types of miscarriages, and we in the medical field call miscarriages missed abortions, okay, even if you're not trying to have a loss. For us, it's still called an abortion. I know that's very insensitive, but that's what it is. And so we're not talking about somebody that has had, like goes in with no heartbeat and that's called a miscarriage. No, we're talking about people that have actually like went into labor and had a miscarriage that way. So if you've had two or more of those, um, you have a higher likelihood of having cervical insufficiency. If you have a collagen disorder, so a genetic condition affecting collagen, so um, anything that affects the elasticity or the strength of the skin, such as Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or Morphin syndrome. If you don't know what those things are, then you don't have them, but these can increase your risk of cervical insufficiency. Why? Because if you have something that we already know affects your collagen strength, the cervix is a tissue, so it can also affect the strength of that tissue as well. 
If you have gynecologic issues like precancerous cells or an abnormal pap smear and you've had a procedure called a LEAP or a loop electrosurgical excision procedure, that's a LEAP, that's when we actually use that loop or it's like an electrical loop to take out or remove a chunk of the cervix and send that off to pathology to make sure you don't have cancer. And it can also treat cancer, right? Because we can remove the cancerous tissues and get negative margins with the LEAP so it can treat and diagnose at the same time, or if you've had a conization or a cone biopsy, that removes in a cone-like shape, we sort of wedge out tissue in the cervix. That can put you at risk for cervical insufficiency just because you're missing a portion of the cervix. So if you're taking out a large or sufficient enough portion of the cervix, this can weaken the tissues of the cervix and put you at risk for cervical insufficiency. And then smoking also puts you at weak at risk for cervical insufficiency because smoking damages tissues. N- nothing is good of smoking. So if you smoke, just stop smoking now. So smoking definitely puts you at risk for preterm labor, um, just in general, because if you're not getting oxygen to tissues, you will start to contract. If you have weak tissues already and you're not getting oxygen, then that weak tissue, even if it doesn't contract, may not have the tensile strength to stay closed. Cervical insufficiency can be treated with a cerclage, and a cerclage is a stitch that is applied in a purse string-like fashion to keep the cervix closed. Yes, it is a procedure. Yes, it's a surgery. It takes about 30 minutes for us to basically give you an epidural or put you to sleep, and once we know that that area is numb, you're put in the stirrups, and then we insert a speculum just like we would a pap smear to visualize the cervix. We clamp the cervix, and then we basically use a stitch to stitch the cervix closed. It stays in the remainder of your pregnancy. The only time we take that stitch out is if you started contracting or if you started bleeding. So if you're contracting, we don't want you to contract and rip through the cerclage. So we would take it out to prevent injury to your cervix. If you're bleeding, that tells us that you may be starting to dilate above the level of the cerclage or you may be tearing through the cerclage and we don't even know it. Why? Because you're already having painless cervical dilation. So you probably are starting to dilate. You just don't know you're dilating and you're stretching through the cerclage. So some women may need this because of an exam, right? You need an exam indicated cerclage. You need this if you've had a history of a preterm delivery and a cervical length of 2.5 centimeters or if you've had an incidentally dilated cervix at any gestational age less than 24 weeks. So this is done when you do your anatomy scan or you happen to be screened. So if you've had a preterm delivery, you'll start getting screened with cervical lengths at about 16 weeks, every one to two weeks until 24 weeks. So if your cervix ends up being shorter than 2.5 centimeters, that's when we'll talk to you. People that have incidentally dilated cervices, those are people that just go in at their 20-week anatomy scan. We're looking abdominally on ultrasound and we say, man, we can't really see the cervix very well. We'll do a transvaginal ultrasound. If we think that you're dilated transvaginally, then we'll digitally check you and see if you're dilated. If we if we can get a finger through your cervix, that means that you need a cerclage. Why? Right? Because if you're dilating that early and you don't know it, you can continue to dilate and we don't want you to lose your pregnancy. Now, some women may need a history indicated cerclage. 
So if you've had two or more mid-trimester losses due to painless cervical dilation, then this is you. So if you you were someone that said, you know, I didn't start feeling contractions until I was like eight or nine centimeters and I went in, I was 22 weeks and I delivered or I delivered my baby in the toilet and I didn't feel any pain until I was ready to push um, then then that may be you. OK. And so if you've had that happen more than two times, then you definitely need a surclage. If you've had that happen once, then you should be getting screened with your pregnancy starting at 16 weeks to see if you need a surclage with the, with the future pregnancies. In addition to a surclage, cervical insufficiency should be treated with progesterone. Now, whether that's done vaginally or via injections in the muscular uh, level, meaning in your arm or your buttocks or your stomach, that is completely up to your OBGYN. Um, most people, if you've had a surcause placed, most of your OBGYNs and MFMs are going to recommend that you start at least vaginal progesterone, which is basically just a little pill that you insert into the vagina every night before you go to bed. I know it's like something else to do during the pregnancy, but we know it does help reduce your risk of having another preterm delivery and it helps keep the uterus quiescent. Previously, if you had a history of a preterm delivery, um, we recommend weekly McKenna injections. And honestly, I still recommend it even with all the controversy. And McKenna is just 17-hydroxyprogesterone. Um, there have been studies, countless ones, that say that McKenna injections can reduce the risk of another preterm delivery by about 30% if you start it somewhere between 16 and 24 weeks. Now there's a newer study that's not a U.S. study, um, and has a different population that says, hey, maybe this doesn't work as well as we think. And so now the FDA is saying maybe we shouldn't approve this super expensive medicine here in the United States. Now, because of that, some insurance companies will not pay for it. OK, ACOG, which is the American College of OBGYN, still does recommend weekly McKenna injections. So I still recommend it. OK, but because of the controversy and the lack of insurance coverage um, with some insurances, I do now say, hey, these are the risks and the benefits. And if your insurance doesn't cover it, then I definitely would would yield to vaginal progesterone instead. So talk to your OBGYN about specific recommendations if you've had a history of a preterm delivery. So now that you know a little bit more about cervical insufficiency, let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 34-year-old who has a known history of cervical insufficiency with two previous losses at 16 weeks and 18 weeks without a cerclage. She had a successful pregnancy with a cerclage with her last pregnancy, which she delivered at 37 weeks and one day. She's now 14 weeks pregnant with dichorionic twins and desires a cerclage placement. However, her OBGYN told her it was contraindicated in twins. She presents for a second option because she fears losing her babies. Realistically, there's not really a second option because it's old school to think that a surclage is not recommended in twins. Um, it's, it, I understand why your OBGYN says that because literally 2020, we were telling twins, you shouldn't get surclages, right? And um, with twins, there was data that said surclage actually has worse outcomes in twins than in singleton, meaning people that had a stitch actually had a greater chance of a preterm delivery than, uh, than those without a surclage with twins. And so, yes, it used to be a contraindication, but now... Even as of this year, we have studies that prove that 
If you have a known history of cervical insufficiency, you've had a stitch before that worked, then you should not be denied a cerclage with this pregnancy. Furthermore, twins should be screened now based on 2021 data for short cervices. And if you have a short cervix, we should use the same criteria basically as for a singleton. And so cerclage is no longer an absolute contraindication in twins and it should be considered. Furthermore, even before this data came out in 2021, if you were twins and you had um, a dilated cervix, so an exam indication for a cerclage, that is still something that should be individualized and a cerclage should be offered because there was no data on that. So with you and your history of a known cervical insufficiency, and we know that it works because before you had a 16 and an 18 week loss without a cerclage, and then with the cerclage, you made it all the way to term, meaning 37 weeks and up is full term. You made it 37 and one. Then we know that this pregnancy, we, we definitely need to do the cerclage and you should have it placed before the 16th week because we know you had your first loss at 16 weeks. So I'm glad that you wrote in for a second opinion. I would definitely um, reach out to another OBGYN or an MFM in the area to make sure you move forward with your care um, sooner rather than later. Because I mean, this newer data literally is just coming out and published as of this, the SMFM meeting in February even, so just two months ago. So yes, it is no longer contraindicated. So our case pearl is... Sarcoid's placement should now be considered in twins. And so if you have twins and a known history of a cervical insufficiency, then ask for a second opinion and be adamant about it. Medical intern, let's go to our second case. Our second case is a 22-year-old who is 21 weeks pregnant with her first child. She had an anatomy scan at 18 weeks and was found to have an incidentally shortened cervix of 1.8 centimeters. At the time, she was told to return weekly for cervical length assessments. The following week, her cervix was 8 millimeters with cervical funneling. Her OBGYN stated that she needed a cerclage and could not have intercourse for the rest of her pregnancy. The patient refused because she thought the anesthesia would harm her baby. She also does not believe she is at risk for going into labor preterm because she has not experienced contractions at all. She has not seen her OBGYN since refusing the procedure a few weeks ago. She presents for a second opinion. Okay, so it's been two, basically two weeks since you had an eight millimeter cervix. And your cervix went from 1.8 centimeters to eight millimeters, um, which means that you could be dilated right now. Your cervix shrunk down really quickly, which means to me that you probably definitely have um, cervical insufficiency. And I know you're... you're fearing the anesthesia. A lot of my patients fear the anesthesia and what it will do. But the second trimester is really an optimal time for surgical procedures. So when I have patients that need their gallbladders removed, um, you know, this, this second trimester, meaning between 13 and 24 weeks realistically is the optimal time to have surgery. Um, if you need like a tooth extraction, if you need, um, you know, anything done, this is the right gestational age to get it done because this is the lowest risk of anesthesia to your baby and it's the lowest risk for you to go into labor because of decreased oxygen saturation to you. 
Um, third trimester is bad because you're more likely to go into preterm labor because of that um, decreased oxygen saturation that you can sometimes get with anesthesia. First trimester, you know, could be bad because you're higher risk for miscarriages in the first trimester. So we only do extremely high risk cases um, in the first trimester. Second trimester is optimal. Let's talk about what happens if you don't do the procedure. If you don't do the procedure and you end up continuing to dilate, you can lose your baby. If you, you're 21 weeks now, if you happen to go into labor before 23 weeks, there is nothing anyone could do to save your baby. Nothing. That baby will be too small to intubate. Baby will be too small to try to resuscitate. So you have to weigh the risk of anesthesia versus the risk that you're going to continue to dilate and lose your baby. Now, if you had gone back, let's say you went back a week later, you're fused, right? Because you're eight millimeters. You weren't dilated that time. You still have some cervix left. So let's say you went back a week later and you were still eight millimeters. Okay, I could see you saying, let's hold out and see if I'm really going to dilate because you have no history of preterm delivery. So your cervix can just hang out at eight millimeters. But if you're consistently dropping your cervical length and then all of a sudden you're getting down to dilating, even a fingertip, you are more likely to go into labor. Even if you get to 28 weeks, that's still a preterm delivery and a cerclage can prevent a preterm delivery. Now, cerclages are not 100%. Cerclages only work about 60% of the time. But when you have a cervix that drops down by a centimeter in a week, and you, we know, and you already have funneling, the funneling is key. You, your cervix is funneling, meaning you're starting to dilate from the inside out. So you're already funneling. So your cervix is proving that it's starting to change. There's change happening without you doing anything then we know that you are in the class of people that's at an extremely high risk to start dilating early. If you're talking about, hey, let's see how far I can get, what happens if you you do get past 24 weeks, but then you dilate at 25 weeks? What, 25 weeks, there's nothing we can do. We cannot place a cerclage after 24 weeks. We can't do anything. So right now you're 21 weeks. Hopefully your cervix is intact enough for your OBGYN or an MFM to get a stitch in. Once you're past three centimeters, it's really, really hard to get a cerclage to get your cervix back closed. So the best time to get a cerclage placed is when your cervix is still closed. And so without a history of a preterm delivery, it's usually not indicated unless you are dilated, okay, like a fingertip of one centimeter. Now, your OBGYN was a little proactive and said, hey, this is shrinking down fast enough. Eight millimeters with funneling is enough for me. It would have been enough for me, too, because I don't gamble. And for me, that's with funneling, that's no cervix left. I'm not going to wait till you're two centimeters dilated to place a cerclage. I would have offered you one at that point, too. But it's not wrong to wait another week to see if you're going to progressively shorten I would not wait too long, though, because once you're past 24 weeks, there's nothing that can be done. So by definition, and this is our case pearl, by definition, cervical insufficiency is painless. So if you have no remaining cervix, even without a history of a preterm delivery, a cerclage is still indicated. And let me reiterate, and I usually don't go on a soapbox after the case pearl, but today I am, okay? And this is my podcast, so I guess I can do that. Listen, people, 
Just because you have no symptoms does not mean you are not in danger. I have people all the time when they have preeclampsia, which is high blood pressure and vascular damage, tell me, I don't feel bad. I can't have preeclampsia. You may not feel bad until you're intubated in the ICU, okay? The numbers don't lie. If you have high blood pressure and you have protein, that's preeclampsia. If your cervix is short and it dropped from 1.8 centimeters to 8 millimeters, that's a drop. The numbers are not going to lie. And just because you are not having pain does not mean your body is not going through changes. So please listen to the numbers. You can seek a second opinion so somebody else can look at your cervix and somebody else can do the measurements. But do not ignore these signs because ignoring these signs will have you delivering preterm when it's too late for us to do anything. So please, let's be proactive. Seek a second opinion, but don't just not go to your OBGYN for two, three weeks. And then you look up and it's too late to have anything done. All right, I'm off my soapbox now. Now, medical intern, what's her, any questions? This one says, Dr. Pliny, I have a history of cervical insufficiency with two cerclages in two previous pregnancies. The first cerclage was placed because I had a history of a bicornuate uterus. The second was placed because of my history of the previous cerclage. Both pregnancies went full term. The second even going a day past my due date. My husband and I want to try to get pregnant again, but I don't want another cerclage. Do I have to have a cerclage with all of my future pregnancies? Okay, um, you know, I usually don't throw colleagues under the bus, okay? But I don't know who your OBGYN is. So, and I don't really know exactly everything that made them go through the thought process of placing the first cerclage. But it seems like everything came down to the first cerclage. And usually once you have one cerclage placed, then it's the second one is sort of a history indicated cerclage. So I understand why you got the second one placed. The second one was placed because you got a first one, right? It's almost like uh, when you get a C-section, when people are like, oh, I have two previous C-sections. Well, the second one is usually because it's a repeat C-section, right? But the first one is the thing that changes the course, right? So the question is, why the first one? So what I would do is go back and ask your OBGYN, hey, why did I have the first cerclage? And if you had the first cerclage only because you had a bicornea uterus, then realistically, it should have never been placed. Now, if you had the first cerclage because you have a bicornuate uterus and you had a short cervix, meaning you had endocervical funneling or short cervix, and you were you only had a few millimeters left of your cervix or you were dilated incidentally, then you should have had a cerclage placed and that would have been the right thing to do. And I would tell you, then yeah, you probably need a cerclage with subsequent pregnancies, okay? although you don't necessarily have to have one right off the bat. But if you only had one because you, they need jerk and said you had a bicornuate uterus, so you need a cerclage, then you don't necessarily have to have one. So old school train of thought is, hey, people that have uterine malformations, like a bicornuate uterus, a unicornuate uterus, a uterine didelphus, all of these are anomalous types of uterus. Um, you're at increased risk for preterm delivery, not because of your cervix, it's just because the cavity isn't a normal size cavity. The cavity is distorted. It's small. It has abnormal contours. So the baby is sort of laying sort of 
abnormal witchy way okay so if that's the case you're more likely to have your water break you're more likely to go into preterm labor because the uterus is smaller okay doesn't have anything to do with the strength of your cervix so you don't necessarily need a cerclage unless you have an incidentally shortened cervix and obviously for the normal indications so if that was not the case and you only had it because your OBGYN thought you have increased risk for preterm delivery and you, because of your uterine uh, malformation, then you don't need one. Now, if they don't know or there's no documentation or you switch OBGYNs, then what I would recommend is that for the next pregnancy, since especially since you made it past your due date with the last pregnancy, which means that they took the cerclage out at 36 to 37 weeks and you still made it another three to four weeks without the cerclage, then I would start doing cervical length assessments every week, starting at 16 weeks. And as long as your cervical length stayed above 2.5 centimeters, then you do not need a cerclage. If you make it to 24 weeks without um, shortening, then you don't need a cerclage. Now, if you make it, um, if you're in that period, that 16 to 24 week period, and you do have evidence of funneling or cervical shortening, then your answer is you do need a cerclage. That's what I would tell you. Um, so I hate when people just knee jerk and try to put stitches in because a stitch is not a cure all. It can actually make things worse in some situations. And uh, uterine malformation is not not put you at risk for cervical insufficiency. It only puts you at risk for preterm delivery. And a cerclage is not a cure for preterm delivery. It's only a treatment for cervical insufficiency. So I think that that's all of our questions and our medical intern is shaking her head. Yes. So thanks so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. Yet again, I love you guys for being faithful listeners. And I hope that you've learned a little bit more about cervical insufficiency and treatment options for the condition. If you've been listening, you know that I'm a proud co-author of the book, Chronicles of Women in White Coast, Volume 3. You can purchase it through my link tree on any of my social media platforms. I want to thank everyone so far for purchasing the book. I have received some DMs, some emails about questions about the things I've gone through in the book. Um, so thank you for the questions. Thank you for the comments. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. 
Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.